So my name is Mick Beesborg, and I'm the lead minister for the New Braunfels Church of Christ. And New Braunfels is in a town between San Antonio and Austin, Texas. And so that's me. I'm married, two kids. Yeah, Eric Gentry. I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, at the Highland Church of Christ. I'm one of the preaching ministers there, and been there seven years. That's it. I'm Ben Fike. Uh, as of six months ago in Durham, North Carolina, at the Colmo Road Church of Christ. It wasn't Jackson, Mississippi before then, and. Um, yeah, I'm really glad you all are here. Thanks for coming to yeah, share this time here. So, uh, all, many of you, this is your first time at Pepperdine. Most of you have been here before, I'm assuming. Uh, so, you know, Pepperdine is a safe space where you can come and re reunite with friends, family, loved ones, maybe uh, co preachers, co ministers, listen to some good speakers, enjoy the scenery, the beauty of Malibu. Uh, the weather's great. I know for me and my ministry, this is just a great place for me to just to find some new energy, uh, to get restored, uplifted, be encouraged, uh, hang out with buds and friends and people uh, throughout the week and listen to good preaching like I heard a little bit ago. And uh, I'm privileged just because I'm networked within the Church of Christ. You know, I went to a Church of Christ school, uh, eventually a cascade in Portland, Oregon, eventually made my way to AC, that I have the opportunity and the ability to continue with some networking and some connections and some communities. And so I've, I've, I'm familiar with networking in groups like Elderlink, or uh, we talked briefly about CMI, the Contemplative Ministers Initiative. And so I, I'm privileged to periodically in my ministry, even at a, at a young age, to be asked to be involved, to be invited to these like cohort groups where ministers can come together and share life together. I'll be honest with you, though, uh, most of those are often short-lived. Uh, the longest one was CMI, and it was two years. And oftentimes, at the end of the road of these, of these, um, these times that I get to, to spend in renewal, the question I, that still I keep wrestling with is, oh, what now? Like, do I just need to go find another one? <clears throat> most of the time, I'm inviting myself. And so for us, we decided to take this journey to say, hey, let's just create this constant community together, just the three of us. And uh, Ben is the one that initiated it. Uh, we were in a, this, this cohort together called Contemplative Ministers Initiative. He asked us, hey, would you be interested? That's all I said. Would you be interested in meeting with me weekly and maybe just keeping each other accountable and praying together? And, and he, essentially what he was saying was, Hey, we're friends. We see each other at places like Pepperdine. You know, we go out once in a while, hang out. But would you be willing and consider taking your our relationship to the next step, <clears throat> right? And, the, and there's some vulnerability in that, right? To, to to create that environment, and so we agreed to. And uh, so we decided to create this covenant and this community together. Now that doesn't mean there's not other communities. There are overlapping communities. And I still have my friends, and I still am part of ministerial alliances, and I'm still going to Pepperdine University. But even in the midst of that, I still have just these two guys that I meet weekly with. And a couple things I want to say to that, because what we're going to try to encourage you to do is consider, you know, finding those spiritual friendships with you, is a couple things that I first want to introduce to you is this, is this group, it sounds bad, but it's not competitive, but it's exclusive. Intentionally exclusive. And those types of friendships have to be exclusive. 
uh, because it, it has taken us three years and we're still working on it to create the type of trust and the type of vulnerability and transparency that's necessary uh, for us to be where we need to be spiritually. And so as we uh, dive deeper into what we're doing, um, we don't really have an open door policy. We're not inviting others in. Uh, it's not like we're creating this group because then eventually we're gonna break off and create new groups. Uh, it's not that type of discipleship program. It's simply just three guys just getting together. And I think that's important. And so the question you might be asking yourself that we are still wrestling with is how do you create this community? Um, for us, uh, maybe it was circumstantial. For us, it was one person asking us. For us, we just happened to be at a place in time in our lives where we were vulnerable and in some ways um, equally hurting, uh, lonely, struggling in ministry. Uh, and so there's a lot of ways and reasons to why we created this community. Uh, but uh, one of the questions that we've asked is how did you guys pick each other like what is it about the three of you that's have stayed together for three years and have not given up i don't know the answer to that because we like each other but like we don't go to ball games together um i don't even know if ben likes sports um, no, not really yeah. uh we don't uh and yet we share life together uh, and so for us, when we were trying to identify partners, or when you think about partners and creating a group like this, uh, obviously you want to think about people outside of your own context. That's important for us. So when we were thinking about creating this group, we knew that we had to find people outside our own context. Um, and then we also knew that because of our relationship through conferences and stuff like that, that it would be important for us to, to have a relationship, but to be connected, to, to know the same language and the same experiences, but also have enough space between us. Like we have a healthy long distance relationship, and I think that's important as well. And so when you think about uh, a group, a covenant group like we have, um, I would recommend that you don't see that person every day, um, personally. Um, so obviously your spouse might not be that spiritual friendship that we're talking about. Um, not that they're not your friend, but consider that as well. Uh, so anyway, so as, uh, as we lean into it, I'm about to step back, is, is consider uh, a group that you want to form, who will be in that group, and then ensure that that group will be an exclusive, safe environment for spiritual vitality and spiritual well-being. Uh, I want to say a little bit more about the exclusive but non-competitive thing, too. Uh, something I've really appreciated about our friendship, too, is um, uh, it, it really does feel that way. Like, there's, there's no disadvantage to me that Mick has strong friendships outside of our group. Um, that doesn't hurt me at all. I think that's great because I love Mick and I want him to thrive in his life. Uh, we're not competitive with one another for affection or for attention. At, a, at an event like Pepperdine, it's not like we feel like... We have to spend all of our time together. Um, we have to huddle together. Uh, that we try to just cultivate a, a spirit of ease around that. Um, I have I have friends that I've known for much longer uh, than these guys, and in certain ways, I'm closer to because we've shared different experiences. I'm close with my family. I'm close with my spouse, uh, and there's no disadvantage uh, to this community because there are strong relationships el elsewhere. And so that's something that I think is significant for us. Um, oh, when it gets to uh, picking people, um, 
Don McLaughlin's one of my favorite people and, and preachers. Don tells this story about uh, going to his dad's funeral, and uh, the comment somebody made about his dad was, uh, Don, your dad believed Jesus was right about everything. Uh, and that's a phrase that has really stuck with me. So I like to look at the life of Jesus, and sometimes I find uh, what Jesus does and says really surprises me. And this was one of those passages that I stumbled across at some point. Uh, the passage right before this in Mark, um, Jesus is surrounded by crowds to the extent that he tells his disciples, like, hey, have a boat ready so that I can get out of here when I need to. Um, just the crowds are all around him. The passage right after this is when Jesus' family comes, and they're ready to take him and have him committed because they think he's crazy. Uh, and also some religious leaders are accusing him of being demon-possessed. So he is right in the crux of ministry. Um, and what he does, he goes up on the mountainside, and he calls to himself those he wanted. Um, and I think so often in ministry, I think there's a real gift uh, that sometimes in churches, like we're thrust into a relationship with people we would never choose and never pick, because um, I think that reminds us that it's God who brings us together. But I also think there's a role in ministry for just figuring out, hey, who are the people you want to be around, uh, that you like, and that you value? And, uh, and it's also significant that they came to him, right? Uh, so there is this, hey, I want you, and there's a response. And we don't know... Uh, Jesus chose 12. Uh, those were the ones he wanted. But we don't know if he also asked, like, George. And George was like, no thanks, Jesus. I'm not interested in this, right? That uh, there is kind of this desire and response uh, that becomes part of that. So I'd encourage you to sit with that question if you're interested in pursuing spiritual friendship of just who's the person you want to do this with. Um, don't force it. Uh, and, and that may be somebody you're already close to, although that can be difficult uh, also if you've already kind of established a rapport in your relationship. Or it may just be, in my case, like uh, with Nick and Eric, we enjoy each other, and I had seen enough of their life to kind of know what they're about and to know that we could trust each other. Um, so it seemed just kind of enough to know, uh, hey, we might like to do this together and to take a next step. So Jesus is right about everything. Uh, choose those that he wants. Uh, let me make a comment real quick about um, some overlapping communities, and Mick was talking about this uh, for a uh, second in line. I'll, I'll kind of draw it out for you. Maybe those of you over there are going to have a hard time seeing this. But uh, and, and we, were, we were just having a, a good conversation with a, a dear friend of ours who's a, a generation above us, our, our dad's generation. Both of us have dads that are in ministry as well. And uh, I think, you know, that generation was sending out so many more ministers than this generation is sending out. But I also think that in many of those um, ministers and ministry families, my wife, would, my, my mother would certainly speak to this, felt like they were kind of out on the frontier doing ministry on their own alone, and sometimes even competitive with other peers and stuff. So I think that generation has set up our generation to... Um, have the kind of spiritual friendships we're talking about. And so we're actually bolstered by kind of a, a, you might think about like concentric circles of spiritual friendships. So I'll draw that out. So at the bullseye, we have each other, this, this spiritual friendship that we're describing in this group. And then, our, and we meet weekly. We do that. We're going to talk about the technology, but we do it through what's called Google Hangout, which is kind of like Skype or FaceTime, or we just do a conference call if we're mobile at that point. We meet weekly. Outside of that, we're part of a group of, of like seven or eight ministers. I think there's eight. Eight, eight yeah. of us uh, that meet monthly on Monday. Also, 
via Google Hangout and we read books together. Yeah, and all this is, uh, well, uh, that one is our lunch hour. Yeah, we do that on the lunch hour. And then outside of that, we're part of a, a group of, uh, we've talked about CMI a couple of times, and uh, it's called the Contemplative Ministers Initiative, if you weren't here yesterday. That's a ministry of ACU that gathers ministers together to um, teach them spiritual disciplines, but also so they, they can support each other. And there's probably 40 guys between the two cohorts that yeah. you know we overlap with. And I would even air club, not just CMI, but I know other cohorts that exist as well. So yeah. um, what this is, is, and I really appreciate if you don't know this, uh, reach out to people like the Randy Harris's, the Mike Copes of the world, um, because they, they know that our generation is hungry for community, and so there's, they're, they're finding money and, and resources out there to create these groups, and there's more than one, and so guys like that I think would be a good resource to point you into that direction if you're, if you're looking for something so, like that. And as you're thinking about how might I find a group like this, so uh, one option is you go out and you look for two or three guys or girls that you can have a, this kind of deep spiritual friendship with. You, you establish a covenant like we talked about yesterday, and we'll go over that again today. And, and you kind of work your way out to maybe these other concentric circles. Or you could start here, like what's a big group I'm a part of? Maybe I'm part of the regional ministers network or elder network, or I come to Pepperdine and there's a couple hundred people here that are like-minded, wanting to pursue a close relationship with God. Okay, so what if I said about asking like 10 of them, hey, let's read a book together every month. Like let's do a book club, as cheesy as that may sound. And then out of that group, as you're getting together once a month and talking with them, you identify like two of them that you think, okay, I could do it with them. And then, so you kind of work your way this way instead of And that that's way. the model could, we took. Yeah, that's, right. is that helpful to see that at sure. all? Okay. Uh, I thought that, that maybe we're clarifying a little bit. Okay, uh, so we're just, we'll get practical for a while and talk about the things we do and that we would recommend. And so pick a time every week where you can talk and it's helpful if that's consistent because you block it out on your schedule. You know this, it's like anything. It's like prayer or reading your Bible. If you don't pick a time, you're not, you're not gonna do that. So, hey, how are you? So like pick a time to, to do that. I haven't seen you in a long time. Uh, my, my roommate's uh, sister right there. And so, uh, glad to have you here. So that's one of the important things. And then we got this group covenant that we shared with you all yesterday. Was anybody not here yesterday that would like a copy of this? Yeah, they're in they're really good shape. I, I folded them in my pocket. So. And so the three of us have committed to this group covenant together. And um, you can see it on the screen behind me, but if you don't have a copy or if you got a copy yesterday, you can look at your air user. And this is so what, one of the practical things we did, we wanted to share uh, some of the practical dimensions, is that we met together for six months to a year before we had the covenant, and we wanted to, to push a little bit deeper, and so we established this covenant. And one of the things we did for a long season, maybe a year, is each time we got together, we would begin our session by reading the covenant together. And then we to prompt the kind of deep conversation that's truly knowing each other, knowing each other's fully. We worked our way through the covenant, and so um, we, uh, like in this first section, we, we made rules of life. We're gonna talk about those next. 
and we each week, so Mick presented his one week, Ben did the next week, I did the next week. We challenged each other on our rules, and then we used those rules, which we'll share again, to follow up on each other each week. How are you following on your rules? And then, you know, for instance, the next one, I think the next one's the hardest. Um, we read, so we, then we spent a couple weeks listening to one another. So we commit to listening <coughs> to one another without judgment or condemnation. We commit to sharing with one another those things we would rather not share with one another whenever they arise. Mm -hmm. And so we each agreed to, we're going to pick something we, we don't want to share, and we're going to share it. And that was the most terrifying one, I think, for us. But I think it was also the greatest one. Yeah, it was and I don't remember who the first one was. It might have been you, Ben. I don't know. It might have been me. I don't remember. It might have been you, Eric. Who knows? Yeah. But I remember the first guy who went just went ahead and laid it out there. And it's amazing what confession does to a community. I mean, it just lifted up this burden and anxiety that I think all of us were feeling. Like, oh, crud. We're about to have to get to confession time. And I'm the... You know, tell them about my Barbie collection. Um, but it wasn't like that. Like, we, you know, I, and ironically through all this, like, I've even become more confessional to my broader spheres. And so that, to me, was the most significant moment for us in our group was being truly honest with one another. Yeah. Uh, for me at the time, I was scared of myself. Um, I was just started taking anxiety meds. Um, and there was a lot of insecurities that I was dealing with. And having these guys to share that burden, uh, because I'm a preacher and you know, I gotta show people that there's nothing wrong with me. Um, that was just, that was incredible. It was life changing for me. And I think a lot of times, sir, I want you to go, Ben. Uh, okay. I think we got to say better. Well, I just had a couple of things to respond to that, too. Um, related to, uh, that's one of the principles we talked about last week, too. Like, vulnerability is what creates community, mm -hmm. even though it's so scary. Um, that's, that's what actually creates the space for some real things to happen. Uh, these overlapping friendship groups were also <clears throat> really significant in that, too, because um, we shared some real stuff. And then, you know, we had a conference call that month, and, and I know, okay, Mick and Eric could really embarrass me right now in front of this group of people because they know some stuff about me that I don't want other people to know. Um, and they held that. And so you're able to see that trust demonstrated that then makes the next experience of uh, vulnerability a little bit easier. And so, um, so that became kind of significant, uh, those overlapping communities. And even as... Uh, We've negotiated life changes and things that are happening too, like where there is, we'll need to share some news with this group uh, to know these guys aren't gonna break that for me. Um, they're gonna let me do that on my own and they're going to, um, uh, yeah, just do that honestly. I'm yeah. sorry, besides yeah, Barbie and confessions, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Barbie collection, uh, <laughs> what do you find yourselves talking about? I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't, you don't answer that? Or any of us could, I think, but. Uh, are you, you're talking about specifically as it relates to confession or just every time we talk? Just when you talk, what do you find yourselves talking about? What, what yep. seems to be yep. the conversation? Uh, so for like the six, first six months, we literally went through this covenant. And we first, so our time together usually lasts, uh, we keep it pretty tight, but we're usually together for about an hour. Mm -hmm. And so the first 10 minutes 
five to ten minutes was just, hey, how you doing? How's your family? Because we know what life's about, right? Just kind of the shallow stuff. Hey, how's the weather in your town? And then we would read the covenant, and we would each, I would read a line, Ben would read a line, Eric would read a line. Then, um, then we would, we knew from the week before that to, on that specific day, we knew that we were going to talk about we commit to loving each other with Christ's conditioned love as it's described in 1 Corinthians 13 in the Gospels. And so that day, that was our conversation. Okay. So for, for a long while, we focused on our covenant. In a moment, we're going to introduce you to our rule of life. That's another thing. So we, so we spent, I don't know, probably three to six months easily on describing our rule of life. And then our rule of life became a really good framework for us to hold one another accountable and talk about it. And so, like, one of the most important questions we ask every time is not just how are you doing, but how are you really doing? And, and you know what I mean? And, and so we, we actually talk about are you practicing your daily practices in your rule of life? And have you done, have you gone on a date with Lindsay? Uh, which Lindsay's his wife, by the way. Uh, so anyways, so, so we, we actually have, even though it's organic, I would say it's also very organized and tight. And we found that to be necessary for us. Yeah, absolutely. So the, you know, I, I'll remind you, we covered this yesterday. Some of you, some of you weren't here, but, you know, the this, this CMI is largely about spiritual disciplines and, and spiritually disciplined ministers. Um, and so as you're working down this way, one of the things that was important was, and, and Ben really spoke to this yesterday, I know these disciplines are important, but I know when I get home I'm not going to do them. And so I want some people that are holding me accountable. And so it's hard to hold somebody accountable without some kind of standard or rule you're holding them accountable to. And so that's the rule of life that we each have. And so one of the things we do is uh, make sure each time we talk, how are you doing in relation to your rule? Are you doing the things you said you would be doing? I, yeah, related to that. Oh, sorry. Is this different for each of you? The yes. rule of life is different. Okay, so each of you has a rule of life. Right. And you try to, okay. Yeah, and yeah, I think part of that's significant, too, that uh, we don't hold each other accountable to what we want the other person to do. Mm -hmm. We hold each other accountable to what they have articulated that they would like to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and right. so, and, and we know what that is because we've shared that with one another. So we can ask, um, are you staying at this? Are you working at this? And that's not a, that's not a coercive move to say, you ought to do this, right? Um, but we already know what we're committed to, and so um, so that's a I think that's a helpful yeah. thing. And I I've just thrown them up here behind you. That I mean, that's mixed. Right so there. yeah, Ben like uh, Ben is definitely more uh, contemplative than I am, um, and I don't know what that means except for he is, and he probably doesn't know about it. Yeah. So like for me, uh, this is really important. I think our our rule of life is super simple. And what I mean by Ben is like you might read his and he might have like, you know, like he'll set aside at least 20 minutes for prayer. Mm -hmm. it, he, it's taken him some time, but he's worked that into his life. Yeah. Where for me, like I'm still at a place and it's, it's not that I, he's better or worse. We're just at different places where for me, what's worked for me is different. And so what's worked for me in my life is I wake up every morning and I just say the Jesus prayer until I just on it just becomes natural. I just stop saying it. And so I say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, as a sinner. So I just say that in my breath as I wake up. And then I just say that when I go to bed. And I don't, honestly, uh, this, is, this is a side class, 
uh, a side note, but I didn't know what the contemplative life was doing for me for a long time uh, because I was always taught, hey, you know, I got to get more spiritual. This came to Pepperdine. Okay, when I get back, I'm going to read my Bible more. And the, what I learned, and these guys will test this because I'm like, I'm a, and you may not know this, but Enneagram, anyone's familiar with that, I'm a three, which means like for me, I'm like obsessed with like, I needed, I need results. And so like, and so for me, I thought the contemplative life was result driven. Like if I pray more, then I'm going to be closer to God, right? But what happens when I pray more and I'm not closer to God? I failed. And so what they did, and this is so important, one of the most important things for me in this group was they kept reminding me, man, it's, there's, it's not about results. It's just about finding life with God. And so that, that's why these weekly calls for me were so important. It provided me with a type of rhythm that I had never experienced before um, in, in life with God. And it's, it's probably worth pointing out that we are part of each other's rules of life. Yeah. <laughs> so part of the weekly practices, monthly practices, so if you think about the concentric circles, the conference call with ministers group, that's the circle out. Here's the phone call with Mick and Eric weekly, and then yearly we commit to getting together face-to-face meetup with, with Mick and Eric. This has been his rules of life. Can we see all three of them again? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. So, Variety is. Yeah, this is mine. You guys do texting and email? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's one of the um, that's actually one of our one of our points out here, and I I'll back up and show you that um, uh, that third bullet down. Um, this is on our covenant. We commit to interrupting each other's lives when we need each other. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I've got a standing rule. I think these guys too do too. That I'll, I'll pretty much answer their call no matter what. Yeah. Like I'll step out. There's few people I would like, you know, family time I would break that for these, <clears throat> these guys. Um, and we text all the time. I mean, we're texting constantly. Yeah. And I tend to those texts with an urgency that I don't tend to other texts with. Even uh, though some of them are nonsense. And some, yeah, yeah. Some of them are just like sending memes to each other and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, um, <laughs> Uh, but do y'all want to say anything else about that? I'll just say, uh, if you're interested in examples, um, shoot me an email. I'd be happy to share mine uh, with you if you'd like to. For the rules of life. So, yeah, for the rule of yeah, life. Yeah, if you can't get it on the slide. One. So. And um, we found, because we were putting together these rules of life, a ton of good resources on what a rule of life oh, might man, look like. Yeah. And if you email us, we can share those with you. I'd like to say to you just about uh, Nick brought up one of the recurring themes in our group is just the way spiritual growth and development is very nonlinear and it's very non uh, so much in life we we think in terms of progress and like I'm gaining ground uh, it is just it's not that way at it's all it's not like that um, the spiritual life we're constantly having to kind of recommit ourselves to um, every every piece of it talk and about so, talk about this. Yeah, this was the title of a, a book that Randy Harris had us read for our Contemplative Ministers Initiative. Uh, we don't remember too much about the book, but we love the title. <laughs> <laughs> Always we begin. Again. Always we begin again, and we found ourselves um, even in our conversations. We'll say, "Yeah, I'm kind of in an always we begin again phrase uh, phase, where maybe I'd been really grounded in my disciplines for a while and was feeling very centered in God, and then." Something happened. I got 
had a kid, yeah, whatever it is, you get knocked off that, and, and then you kind of start all over again. And um, it doesn't feel like progress. Um, it, yeah, it feels like something different than that. And I think that's significant to keep in mind, too. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're looking for results, committing yourself to a community like this, uh, you may not see them. Uh, you probably won't see them instantly for sure. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind, too. Often you guys actually get together. Once a week. We talk once a week on the phone. Uh, I mean, face to face at least once a year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll run into each other. Like, I may just only run into Ben at a conference or sure. just Eric, but we almost always run into each other at least once a year. And if not, we intentionally. We'll meet each other once a year. That's our covenant to one another. Yeah, right. last year. You ever get through families Um, not well, kind of, <laughs> not really. We haven't done that with all three of us yet. We we took a vacation, uh, me and my wife, uh, where we stayed with Megan Tara for a while. And when we lived in Jackson, we were about three hours away from Eric and Lindsay, so we'd go pop in and visit them. But like my wife actually just like me. yeah, just met Eric this week. Yeah, this she week. gave him a big hug, and she was like, because she knows what we're doing, and so mm-hmm. even though we. The, that hasn't crossed it has crossed mm. so it, it was fun to watch that right yeah. it was like there was yeah. like this instant connection because they know the type of life that we're sharing together and I know her super well even though I've never met her right and not any you know like of the secrets y'all share no but what she does for you and what, right you know, who she's made you you share that all the time yeah so, uh, you know, my I wife, love her. my wife Laura, often says, "Have you talked to Megan Eric about this?" Weird <laughs> 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 conversation. Yeah, and all, um, this has helped my marriage because I shared this with my wife, and one of her first responses is, "Well, why don't we do something like this?" And I was like, "You know, I've been married 15 years this year," and I'm like, "Duh, right?" So even out of this, we have become. Again, it's not it's not linear. There's no results, but we become at least more intentional and more vulnerable with one another in our spiritual life together as a spouse. So we're doing good. some new spiritual disciplines together. Together now, yeah. yeah. What do you yeah. guys do in your? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What do you guys do in your in your yearly get-together? It's been different every time. Yeah, and and a lot like this is it this year. A lot of times it's kind of patched into an event we might be going to together. Uh, one was at uh, one of the contemplative ministers retreats was in Dallas and we just tagged on an extra day we went to a campground there's a burn band we were hoping to sit around a campfire but we just had like a lantern <laughs> it was cold it was cold yeah, it, was it, was, cold. it was a terrible experience <laughs> I was so glad it was over <laughs> we are glad to get home but yeah it's like different it's like different but do you have a, a, a thing that you guys follow do you guys schedule it out or is it just kind of I, I, yeah, I think I think our especially it's a great question yeah. um, because we're very not very but we are fairly organized and, and thoughtful throughout the year during the week. But I think when we get together, I think it's actually been no agenda. We've never talked about it, but as I'm thinking about it, it's actually nice to have no agenda when we get together. Well, we are we we, we were super structured to begin, and some structure still guides us. But we've probably moved into a more organic season where we naturally talk about our souls our disciplines like when we're together that we don't just talk about sports like pretty instantly it's it can go deep yeah that's a great point uh, that we were thinking about for you guys is we would highly recommend to be super organized early on up front let that set the tone and then because eventually just the natural stuff will eventually just kind of form and take place but that's why for us the question asked earlier was well what do you do 
early on, we, we, we knew what to expect the next week. And so that was very intentional on our part. Now it's, it's, it's a little looser, <clears throat> I would say. Yeah. And I mean, with this principle too, it wouldn't surprise me if we find ourselves going off the rails at some point and need to come back to a more organized structure too. Um, you just kind of have to honor what's happening organically, I think. Uh, Chris, yeah, Beck. I, I was gonna ask, because uh, I know like ministers and their wives or husbands, there's sometimes a tension of, do I need to burden my spouse with this? Or I don't want to ever hold any secrets from her, and sure. I'm probably more open than some of my other people I know. Uh, but at the same time, has this allowed an avenue for y'all to kind of filter some of that stuff out from yeah. it being a burden on her? Absolutely. To be yes. Uh, that's great. Yes. Yeah, in <laughs> fact, um, sometimes I, we might even ask, do you think this is something I should share with Tara or Lindsay or, or Laura? Like, they become, because you want your spouse to be invested and involved in your life of ministry. If you've been in ministry, you know that. But there's always that line you're talking about. And um, so that this group is a good group to help kind of feed off that. And they'll say, yeah, you may want to, you probably want to share that with Tara. That's kind of an important deal. It affects her. Or, yeah, you, you know, it, it's okay to hold on to that for a little longer. Something like that. So it's not hiding. And our spouses know this. You yes. know, they've, they've been in ministry long enough. They've heard these classes. They, and they... And now my wife's at a place in her own ministry, in her own life, and she's now participating in something similar to CMI, where she holds her own secrets. And I'm okay with that. Like, it, like that's not like we're, you know, it's healthy. And also, to, to Chris's point there, um, ministry can be frustrating. And... Um, it's yeah, I know that's hard to believe. I was like, man, they, they apparently theirs aren't frustrating. Uh, and so one of the things that certainly we do a lot is process frustrations yeah. Yeah. and what to do about them. Yeah. And you know, like I can speak personally that numerous times my course of action has been determined by my conversations with them, mm. and that those have always proved better than when I responded without talking to them. Uh, there was a good example of that was there's a Still struggle with this, but there's seasons in my life where, uh, and people know me know. I, every time I talk about something, I'm like, "Man, do I really want to stay in ministry?" <laughs> I just, I just kept saying that over and over again. And Ben finally just, like, I think one point just said, "Dude, either stay in ministry or not. Quit talking about it." <laughs> <laughs> and that was so helpful, like, for me to hear that because it was like, and I still struggle with it. I still say it, but still. Um, but just, just the idea, like I had that relationship with him where he could say that to me, didn't hurt my feelings at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was very helpful. And I think those conversations in the, in the drama of church conversations can be wearying to our spouses, especially at times. And, um, uh, now uh, again, I, I want to share what she, she needs to know and stuff, but it's also like some of like the mundane stuff. I think it's better to process with them than her sometimes. She doesn't have to be as frustrated with all the people I'm frustrated with. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know why you recommend for this to be outside your ministry context, and and, and maybe if you have some special circumstances. I just want to hear what what your thought is behind <clears throat> kind of maybe encouraging people to not have this kind of a group within maybe where you're, you're ministering. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I would state that, personally, I don't know that I'd state that as boldly. Like, 
we can just kind of share from our own experiences. This right. is what we found helpful. Yeah, that's uh, to me, I mean, the yeah, dream. Both. Yeah, sure. and the dream I have of church is that it becomes <clears throat> a safe space for these kinds of relationships to happen. Uh, but I think we just also acknowledge the reality of many churches is that doesn't exist. And uh, for ministers, too, it, that can be really difficult to cultivate. I think it would be awesome if, if you could find it on the ground um, with the people that you're close to. Um, I think that would be great. And we're, as I said at the beginning, um, I like the line, in the spiritual life, all of us are beggars sharing bread. So I kind of feel like, you know, here's a little bit of bread that we found. But if, if you find it somewhere else, then that's awesome. I'd love to hear about that experience. Yeah, too. and Ben brought up this week, so you, your dad might have shared this with you. But uh, eventually this would be something we would love to share with our churches. Mm-hmm you know, and help them create or cultivate these types of friendships and communities. Uh, so um, that's a fair question. I, would, I, I think the only reason why it sounded like I was gospelizing outside of ministry, though I didn't mean it that way, is because sometimes uh, people who live in your ministry, they, um, they, don't, they don't respect your bias as much because they know it's bias, right? So like what I mean by that is let's say uh, I'm, I'm sharing with a church member a, a staff issue I have. Um, well, he knows the staff member. He's got his bias, or she's got her bias, whatever it may be, and I've got mine, and she's going to listen to me, but she's not really because she's got her own biases where when I can, sometimes it's just nice to talk to somebody that knows nothing about what I'm talking about. Uh, and so so there's some, for me, there's something rich about that. Yeah, the, I like in, in an instance like that, the only person I care about in that situation directly <clears throat> is about Mick and his relationship with mm-hmm. God. Yeah. And I don't know what the other what's happening with the other person, and so um, that is helpful. I think that's a really helpful relationship to have. In place. Which is a dynamic you never have at your church, mm-hmm. because you're always concerned about Nick and everybody around me. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, we're still working this out, so maybe that's why. Yeah, well, it, because it's good to to hear your 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 thoughts behind like some some of the cautions or some of the advantages of sure. having that outside. Yeah. Uh, I think all of us would say we desire the church would be that place where everybody can be totally vulnerable, including the ministers of that church. But if you're waiting on the church to become that place, you may be waiting a long time. And like, you need this now. You need this yesterday. We did. And so we we couldn't afford to wait on that. Yeah, Chris. And I would say, too, and this may just be my own experience, but realizing when money gets involved, when a paycheck gets involved, Sure, there's other. Yeah, there are things attached to that. So many overlapping things. That one is baggage that you don't want, but two, you're gonna have to deal with things in a different way. Yeah, and there's a job to it. There's other hands. Other. Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna comment on kind of the whole, you know, sharing or not sharing with spouses and sure, yeah, having this outside of your own ministry context. I think for me, a big, a big positive of that is that you know I don't want to kind of. Poison my wife right. towards this member or right. someone that she may really love, and yeah. she might not have any, you know, she doesn't necessarily need to know yeah. whatever might be going on there. And and I don't want to, you know, I'm sure you guys may at times struggle with like not gossiping, like you don't want to come off gossipy yeah. or anything like that. But sometimes you just gotta get stuff out there, like this is really frustrating me and hurting me. You know, in this ministry, and, and once again, you know, if that's, you know, if you have uh, another pastor or, or minister or whatever from your church in this group, it may be, may be hard to share those things with them. Oh, yeah. You don't like, once again, poison them yeah. against someone else or, or create these kind of gossipy 
type situation. Yeah, speaking, venting in a safe environment, in my opinion, is not slandering, especially in this right. circumstance, because Ben's really good, so is Eric, and, and he said that earlier. When he hears me, he's not hearing how bad this human being is yeah. or whatever. What he's hearing is, is, Mick, where is your life with God? And sometimes, almost all the time, it has nothing to do with that person. It has to do with me, yeah. right? So, like, it's almost yeah. always, I know I'm setting myself up to get criticized when I start complaining about my church. And not in a bad way, but that's, but I, I know that. I need to hear that. I need to hear make you need to be patient or or make you need to be more understanding or whatever it may be um and so for me to vent and bear my soul and for them to care about my soul it, it's, it's it's been really good mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um you know a lot a lot of folks minister or serve in like a multi-staff church and then some are out there on their own and uh, i think you know, it's tempting to say, like, if I am surrounded by other staff members, that I don't, I don't need something like this. But here, I think you're absolutely right, and all of us are, have other staff members we work with, that we, we needed something different from what we got with them, this co-ministry we were doing with them. We needed something different that had to do with us and God that um, was hard to come by with those that we serve with and love. It's just something different. I because um, we got 15 minutes, I feel like we should talk about... We know not what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so, so why are we doing this, basically? And we, we want to keep answering questions that you may have. But um, one of the, the, the guys that formed us, Randy Harris, and I don't know if he's the one who said this first, he probably stole it from some spiritual master. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, he said the contemplative life is preparation for we know not what. And that uh, you don't, you know, you don't know what's going to come your way. And so um, you want to go deep so that when something does come your way, you're not standing in the shallows. You know, you've got this deep anchor or anchored in the shallows. And so, um, in the same way that we're committed to the lives of contemplative prayer and growing in that, we, we are not masters like Randy is for neophytes. But uh, in the same way that we're committed to that, we view this relationship as preparation for we know not what. And I think we, we want to give some maybe some examples of what we knew not what that came our way and how this this sustained us um when y'all want to jump in there yeah i'm definitely afraid to um so a lot's happened in the last three years for all of us and uh we've gone through some pretty difficult things and um i'm really grateful for this group Yes. Um, yeah, a lot of it's personal demons for me that I've been walking through for a while. Um, but this group sustained me and, f and fueled me. Um, now, I'm not going to give them all the glory because there's other spheres. Uh, but they're the, they're the regular rhythm, right? They're the ones that... They're not the, the shock to the heart. 
you know, I'll give that to the great preacher at Pepperdine. Uh, but they're the ones that kind of help maintain the rhythm. They're the pacemaker, I guess. Um, I've already, I think I've shared with you already some of my not what's. Uh, my not what's were happening for me before I even got to this group. So I think for me, I was driven by the not what's. And I shared a little bit about that last, uh, yesterday uh, with cancer, <clears throat> with my health and um, my anxieties. I had to deal with post-cancer. And um, so I was already living in the not what. And so for me, um, this group helped me right away. And... Uh, there was probably the days, those weeks where we talked, I think all of us have done this one point, where we apologize and said, I'm so sorry I've taken over the whole time. Like, because we'd call and then Mick would just, and if you know me, I talk a lot anyways, but I just spoke the whole hour. And even though I was apologetic, I really wasn't, because it was so necessary for me to speak the whole hour, and it was so necessary for them to listen. Well, and we've all done it. And we've all yeah. done it. And... Um, and so now my not what for me is just uh, trying to sustain and stay afloat. And, and I'm not picking my church apart. I just think ministry in general is difficult. And, um, and so, like, uh, you know, my own calling, my own vocation, what, who am I as a minister? Uh, and so that's been my recent not what that, um, that they've been helped walking me through. One of the big things we've, um, not big things, but one of the things that's come up multiple times over our three years is vocation mm-hmm. stuff. And so we've, um, we've processed through one significant job transition, you know, been moved in six months ago. And so we processed that through together, but we've also processed through staying put, yep. why we should stay put, whether we should stay in the industry, we process those things together. And um, that's been really life-giving. Us. Ben, do you want to talk about your experience related to that? Yeah, I've uh, I've taken these guys on a ride <laughs> the last couple of years. Um, so, uh, twenty sixteen was a hard year for the church I was at in Jackson, Mississippi, as I imagine it was for most churches. That was the election year. We just made some significant changes in um, the way women are involved in the life of the church that had. Uh, had some significant fallout too and so uh, and at the end of that year there's a big uh, leadership transition at the church so that uh, basically all of the elders who had hired me and brought me in were gone and there was a new group that had come in in the course of a short amount of time and I thought that was the biggest challenge that I was facing in my life Uh, my wife uh, was pregnant uh, about 22 weeks along and I went to the office one day early in January and got a call from her uh, and just said, uh, she just got in for a routine checkup. Uh, can you get over here immediately? Uh, they, can't, they can't find a heartbeat for our baby. And um, so I uh, don't remember that drive, but somehow I made it over to uh, the doctor's office where she was. Um, her doctor wasn't there, so it was a person we had never met had to break to us the news that uh, our baby had died in utero and um, we learned uh, when you're that far along, you still have to deliver. Mm. And um, so we call family, and oh, my dad's in the room here too, and uh, <clears throat> if I look at him, I'm gonna cry. But uh, we, uh, we called family and immediately showed up, in-laws uh, showed up, 
Uh, but some of the first people I talked to were uh, Mick and Eric too, and they became kind of constants through that process for me. And uh, um, in processing uh, everything that happened with that. And I mean, for me spiritually, like uh, it's it created a real question of whether or not I'm going to continue trusting God or not. Um, because if this is the way God has set up the universe to work, Am I fully on board with that? Um, but uh, for me, Mick and Eric were just a consistent, faithful presence in my life that I always knew whatever I was thinking, whatever was going on. I could call those guys, and they would receive me well, and uh, they would have compassion. They wouldn't tire of me talking about the same things over and over again. And um, it just kind of held space for me to work through that whole process. Uh, and like Nick said, they weren't the only ones who were doing that. Uh, my dad it was actually a huge ministry presence for me through that time, too, and uh, family members, and uh, church surrounded us in certain ways, too, that, were, uh, that was really vital for us. Um, but through that experience, both my wife and I uh, were on staff at the church, and that has be, become a real life-changing experience for us. Uh, part of what she's discerned is uh, doing vocational ministry in church. It's not something she's interested in anymore, and so she wants to explore some different avenues, uh, really learning how to minister to families who are, have also dealt with uh, child loss and some things like that. Um, she, uh, her class would be worth attending once she's able to teach it. Um, and, uh, and so that also brought us into this season of not only grief, but also discerning um, is it time for us to make a move because vocationally we were in different places. Uh, the real crazy part for us, though, came when... Um, our, our first baby, uh, Daisy is her name, was due in May. And we went on a, a trip to kind of <clears throat> mourn that. Uh, and then we had a family trip in June in which uh, we were driving in to uh, visit my parents. And uh, Laura said, we need to stop at a drugstore and pick up a pregnancy test. Um, I was like, now? <laughs> uh, but we did, and, and we picked one of those that has, like, the ambiguous, uh, like, lines on it. Yeah. And we took one that night, and it came back positive. And um, but I don't think we slept at all that night. We went back to the drugstore the next day, got another one that actually gives you a clear plus sign. We found out that we were pregnant again. Um, and honestly, uh, I mean, the grief of losing our first child was awful um, and is awful. We still carry that. Uh, but then we had to go through another pregnancy immediately after that, um, which uh, we uh, was just a lot to lot to carry. Um, and so for me, uh, I mean, these guys, knowing I wasn't carrying that on my own, I think it saved my life and, and saved my soul and saved my marriage, uh, saved. Uh, my ministry. Um, I don't know what I would have done or who I would have been uh, without having this kind of relationship in place and negotiating the stuff that we've been negotiating the past years. Yeah. And um, our baby was born uh, back in January. His name's Samuel, and he is uh, wonderful. Uh, he is not a replacement for our first child. We still are parents who are grieving one loss and celebrating uh, another one. Um, but, uh, and now as I'm embarking on this new kind of journey of parenthood, I, I find again, uh, 
I have a lot of conversations with Meg and Eric about that and how to engage that in healthy ways too. And so uh, we had a church member back in Jackson who, uh, as we were going through the grief process, we also grieved pretty publicly with our church and kind of led them through that. Because when you're in ministry, when it's your child, that child also kind of belongs to the church and that's a hard thing to negotiate. Um, But she said, you built your raft well before the flood came. And our built your boat well before the flood came. And um, uh, anyway, I, this was the biggest piece of, of that boat and kind of riding through the flood for me. So Yeah, I want to add to that. I think, you know, one of the questions you ask, why do you pursue the contemplative life? And I think it's for these moments. I mean, there's probably other reasons, but it's really for we know not what. It's for those things you just can't plan in life. And that's... That's why you center yourself with prayer and meditation and why you find friendships like this. It's really for those, those things that will happen in your life that you cannot blame. And I think that um, one of the things <clears throat> it's worth pointing out about Ben's story is that you know, the decision to relocate um, happened in the midst of that long story. And so what he really owned was that like I'm in a place uh, you know, the spiritual word is desolation, and uh, I can't trust myself to make significant decisions. And, and my wife's also in that same place, so like we're, uh, but I, I can trust Mick and Eric to try to listen to God mm. on my behalf when it's hard for me to hear God. And so many of you probably have a spiritual director, which is somebody who's listening to God for your sake and, and listening to you for God's sake. And so that's also something that spiritual companions can do in, in a maybe a different way. And so um, you know, maybe Mississippi will blame Nick and I for y'all. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure about that. But um, you know, that, that wasn't something that just like Ben felt good about leaving. It was something the three of us felt good about, this yeah. position. And in the, in the same way, like I've, I've faced significant decisions that, that <clears> I uh, made because of these guys and, and their advice. In addition to my wife, things I'm processing with her, but I wouldn't have, have dared to approach those decisions without them. Because um, even you know, as I'm contemplating these things and trying to listen to God, I don't. Uh, it's hard to. Um, I don't trust myself in that, mm-hmm. and so I want to make sure what I'm hearing from God, they're hearing too. Do Do you guys ever disagree about some of those decisions? Yes. Yeah. But then I step in and I give them the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always good to have. It's nice to have my first <laughs> You know, like, one of the things about our group, and this is reflected in the covenant, is that uh, we don't hold back and we do say how we feel. And, you know, if I think you're, you need to revise your approach or you're being a jerk, whatever yeah. that is, or, or no, that's a, that's a bad decision, we say it. And that's been yes. said many times. And, and so that speaks to that, yeah. But like I know these guys love me, so it doesn't phase our. Maybe in that question, look, says, have we had a fight or a disagreement, or we left a phone call? And you're not asking this, but I'm thinking back. Mm-hmm. Have any of us left feeling hurt by the? I don't think that's happened yet. Yeah. I guess maybe what I was asking is like, if one of you has a question and the other two disagree <clears throat> about that, is there kind of a? Oh yeah, yeah, that's happened. In fact, like even with, um, and I, I can't think of any specific examples, but with. Like, I'm sure there was times when you were considering what to do um, after the loss of Daisy, 
you know, do I stay? Do I go? You know, I have this opportunity before me. And I, I don't, I, we may, there's probably times in the, that conversation that we're having with one another that everyone was not on the same page. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I also think though, um, we don't we don't make decisions for each other. Yeah. And so, I mean, we honestly state, we, ask, we try to ask good questions and we try to help each other listen to ourselves and listen mm -hmm. to the spirit, I think, more than, um, but if, if we said like, that sounds pretty dangerous. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, like that line of thinking, um, that doesn't sound very good to me. We'd let each other know that. Now, but, this, um, <clears throat> yeah, but I don't. I, yeah, I, don't I would say like the next group, decisions. the seven and eight, like we disagree more. Mm -hmm. But that's the purpose of that group. We read a book and we share theology. Yeah, and so like that's that's probably that group, and that's still a good group too. Um, in fact, I think I like some of the other guys better than these guys in that group. Um, but um, they're good guys. <laughs> just kidding. But at the, but we will read a book and then we'll just challenge each other and think theologically. We just recently read uh, Naughty Bulls Weber's book Shameless, and on uh, I think the, the subtitle is Sexual Revolution or something. I don't remember what it is, but it, it's on sexuality and it's it's a pretty. Um, radical book and so of course even in our group we had lots of different opinions and so there were some differences and stuff and I think we respected and honor all of that uh, just in in our last minute and so thankful for y'all Adele Calhoun has uh, a book called the spiritual disciplines handbook which if you don't have that you should it's really really good she talks about spiritual friendships and she offers uh, the exercises on this slide and the next slide I'll flash them up there as a way to kind of get started um, in terms of looking for spiritual friends and how you might begin that. And they're good. We didn't follow these steps, but we like them. <clears throat> if you're just really looking for a resource to help, that's a Dell Calhoun Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. Well, how did you guys first meet? I don't remember. How did you get together? Yeah, we talked about that last week. We overlapped at ACU um, yeah. and did so, yeah, kind of we're in each other's circles. Right? All, all three went to ACU? Yes, yeah. sir. Oh, yeah, okay. that's right. Right there, huh? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, we want to respect y'all's time. Thanks so much for being with us. We're, we're glad to stick around and answer questions. But uh, thanks for coming. Yeah, please stay. <laughs>